0: It's kick. Celtic couldn't handle Vida. The set piece is a brilliant header, and tail goes spectacular. What about
2: that? What about that? Here's Aloisi from place in the World for us. You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas.
0: Yes, hello again. Welcome along to another edition of Shim Spider and So Much More. No need to pay $15 for a live stream of this podcast, although if you'd like to, we are open to it. Coming up, we've got Joey Gibbs joining us all the way from Iceland as our special guest, and we'll discuss the other topics of interest, all in the company of our two golden boys from the golden generation, Zelko Kalats and Craig Moore. How are you, boys? Good to see you.
3: Good, Simon. Good evening, boys.
0: Yes, good morning over here. Um, but Maury, let's start with you. Um, any news from you? What, what's going on with Canberra's A-League bid? It's all gone a bit quiet in the last few weeks. Have you got Mate,
3: exclusive for us? It has, it has and unfortunately those no scoops. But look, what I can tell you is that Canberra are uh, still very, very keen to progress mm. uh, and are in a, in a position where they're able to, uh, but they're in confidential discussions at the moment. With, uh, with the FFA, Simon. So a lot of those discussions still privately being had behind closed doors. But hopefully uh, for Canberra, th- they'll be in a position to uh, to be a new addition uh, to the competition um, in the next year.
0: Okay. Spider, from your point of view, you're entering, I think, level three lockdown in Xanta. You've had a big spike in the coronavirus. And yet you, you, I think you're supposed to be kicking off the season next week. You've got a friendly today, haven't you?
4: Yeah, we, we just played our friendly today and uh, we played fantastic, to be fair. The first uh, 55, 60 minutes, the boys were really, really good. We ended up winning 2-0, which was supposed to be our last friendly match. Uh, good way heading into the season where we're supposed to kick off next week. As far as we know, at the moment, we're still playing, but we we wait to, to hear some more news in the coming days. Uh, we're wearing masks all over the streets now. So that's uh, obligatory. We have to do that. So, yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. We'll we'll keep preparing like we start this week, but uh, that'll come down to the government.
0: It's a tough situation all around the world at uh, the moment. All right, thanks uh, for the moment, boys. Uh, We're going to kick things off with Simon Says.
2: Simon Says.
0: Now, my topic this week surrounds a fantastic story. It is the sort of story sports journalists dream of. Overnight, a 26-year-old woman from Brisbane, half a world away, became one of a very few select Australians to play in an FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium. Not many from this part of the world have done that. Joe Marston, Craig Johnston, Tim Cahill and Miller Yedemak standing alone in a very short list until yesterday. Harry Kewell did play in the Cup final for Liverpool, of course, but that was at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. So the feats of Haley Razo in reaching the big stage are rare enough. The only other Aussie female to play in a cup final was Taryn Rockall in 1999, who won a winner's medal for Arsenal against Sunderland at the Valley, home of Charlton Athletic. The fact that Haley has done it just two years since breaking her back in an on-field collision while playing for the Portland Thorns makes it utterly remarkable. There were doubts that Razzo would actually walk again, let alone play football, so that she returned just six months later is testament to her powers of recovery physically and her mental determination. And even in recent weeks, Razzo has had to overcome hardship. Last Monday, Razzo's family home on the Gold Coast was burgled, with the thieves getting away with a stash of Matilda's memorabilia, the family jewellery and a laptop. In the build-up to the cup final, the theft got a fair bit of traction in the mainstream media, rightly so, but as per usual, the main bit, the reason why Haley is any sort of a public profile at all, to wit her achievements in football, has been largely ignored outside of football-specific circles. Even the newspaper in Brazzo's home state of Queensland led this weekend with the usual diet of origin build-up and blood-is-low cup reaction. There is, however, a section on the Tokyo Olympics, if you're keen, a story on archery, there are tales on swimming, athletics, water polo, boxing, basketball and hockey. And football, the world's most popular sport, and the Matildas, a team with a real chance of a medal in Japan next year, absent. This sadly is part of the ongoing story or non-story of the game in this country. Now, some will say this underlines the lack of coverage of female sports, true to an extent, Yet if Hayley Razo played AFLW, for example, I wonder if we'd be hearing a lot more about her. After all, Taylor Harris had a statue constructed after suffering online abuse. Sam Kerr's links with AFL are covered ad nauseum. In 2020, footballers from this country are not only leading the way for their sport, but for female sport in this country. Razo is one of 11 Australian women playing in the FA Women's Super League in England, fast becoming one of the best women's leagues on the planet. There are two Aussie coaches and Joe Montemuro and Tanya Oxterby. Yet aside of Sam Kerr, a lot of the team you reckon could walk down most Australian streets and largely be unrecognised. And many will again claim this to be a lack of recognition for women's sport. And again, in part, I agree. Yet look at the coverage Elise Perry receives. Now she's full time with cricket or the attention that was lavished on Cathy Freeman 20 years ago or the column inches devoted to Ash Barty, Sam Stozer, Stephanie Gilmore, Sally Fitzgibbons, when they're doing well. In a list of the 50 most influential women in sport compiled by the Sydney Morning Herald last year, Sam Kerr was the only Matilda to make the list. This is not just a female sport problem, it's a football problem. The FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023 offers us a long build-up and a chance to rectify that, but it's just a moment in time just like the asian cup was in 2015 and we all know what happened after that we have to change the conversation not just for now but for good in the meantime congratulations to haley who sadly didn't win overnight her everton team going down 3-1 to manchester city but nonetheless haley has gone down in history let's move on to hard talk
2: hard talk
0: Our talk is brought to you by Streamgate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specializing in custom built stream pages, pay per view, and multi language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients Australia wide. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. So, guys, let's uh, kick off this week uh, with an interview I actually did with FFA CEO James Johnson this week for Optus Sports, and uh, it was a wide-ranging chat, but the main theme he kept returning to was this unbundling, as the FFA call it, of the A-League from the governing body. Uh, And he seems, James Johnson, to be rather frustrated by the glacial pace of progress. And uh, the quote was, if we don't get it done by the start of the season, then basically we we shouldn't bother. And he he sort of hints the fact that the member federations are – are holding things up. Um, and my question to you is, if that is the case, then clearly governance reform has not gone far enough if politics is, is still checking that progress. But how do we get that reform? Maury?
3: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough question, Simon. I've also seen another quote uh, along the lines of uh, the unbundling process should take months. Um, not years. Now. Yeah. Not years now. You know, James has been in since January, I believe. Um, so, if he can't be the person that can drive this um, this reset, this reform, restructure that we know, and we've we're gone blue in the face, aren't we, in terms of the amount of times um, and discussion that we have on it? Um, then, if he can't, nobody can. Clearly, there needs to be a restructure, uh, and we're not saying we've never said that the member federations. Need to completely be gone. What we need to do is is make sure that they are structured in a uh, financially better way that has a bigger influence on the the, the national footprint, and therefore that you know dollars can be saved that can be reinvested and distributed in, in different areas rather than the amount and the layers of administration and steering committees, which you know it takes too much time for for the major decisions, important decisions to, to be made, Simon. So, like I said, it's a big job, um, but I think with the FFA that they've got to be, the FFA, sorry, they're the ones that have got to be strong and, and, and drive this through. And if people, state member federations, aren't going to jump on board, then we may need to alienate these people to, to show that that's not the future of the game. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Spider, I wanted to ask you about a second part of the interview uh, with Jones that he he talks about a national second division. He sort of went close to committing to one, didn't quite actually say, yes, we are going to do it. Um, But he did say that 2022 is an area of time we can shoot for. Does that go far enough for you? I know you're a big supporter of a, a national second division.
4: Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad he really thinks so. And look, with the times, it's 2020. We all know what kind of disaster this year's been. So, if you look at 2021 as setting a footprint for it to start in 2022, realistically, it's only a year away. I mean, we're now November, so we're two months, and we're finished with this dreaded 2020, and it'll give one year to actually fully prepare for the second division and 2022 to get it underway. You know, I was really interested, Simon, like you would have sat there and watched his facial expressions when you were having this interview with him. Uh, what, What did you get out of it? Did you actually, was he positive with anything? Did he see he was getting somewhere or was it a face of frustration?
0: Uh, it's it's a bit difficult with with James because he he does tend to be you know keep things quite close to his chest in terms of his body language, but I did get the sense, um, and this is why I led with the line that, you know he was frustrated by the the pace of progress with. Uh, with the unbundling because that was a theme he kept returning to uh, time and again, even unprompted throughout the conversation. So, you know, that was obviously one of the major points that he wanted to get across, that he was irritated by the fact that he couldn't get this over the line uh, because of the politics of the game. Um, I I actually think it's a good thing that that has been, you know, brought out into the open. Uh, The other stuff, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, the, the second division... It, it's been a difficult year, and maybe 2022, given that, is is the, is the best year for it now. But, um, you know, he did say that we want to have it. It's in our interest to have it. Um, but again, it comes down to the modelling and, uh, you know, what it's actually going to look like. Um, anyway, we, we hope that uh, they can make progress and, and actually get that separation uh, finalised by the start of the new A-League season, and then perhaps we can see that sort of investment that we need to, to tackle some of the issues that we have in football. Um, I want to move on, guys, and talk a bit about the Newcastle Jets. And first of all, the, uh, the Joey Champness situation. Uh, the Jets, we, we sort of touched upon this last week, but the Jets have agreed to loan him to Brisbane more, given his family are there. Is that the right solution, given uh, COVID at the moment? Obviously, the Newcastle Jets fans are not particularly happy. Laurie McInnes says that Roar did everything correctly by the book. What's your take on
3: it? I just think it's a bizarre situation. <laughs> uh, I really do. I mean, he's returned back home to his family. Look, I I get all that. I understand that. Um, he's a Newcastle Jets player um, who has great talent. Um, Newcastle were fantastic with him to allow him to pursue a, a music career and what have you. Um, so you would have just thought that then coming coming back that you know he plays his football at, at the Jets. The concern I would I would say that the Jets have probably got is because he's he's missed the amount of time that he has, and maybe they don't feel is potentially he can be up to the speed. Uh, and financially, maybe it makes sense for him. But I just found it really really bizarre, Simon. I did.
0: And I wonder whether there is a, a the, the issue is the fact that because he'd been overseas and when he flew back into Australia, of course, he went back to his. His family home in, in Queensland, and given now the restrictions in terms of movement due to COVID, uh, whether that's you know played the biggest part in all of this. But I agree with you; it it is on on the surface a very odd situation. And Spider, in terms of, of the Jets' coaching situation, that's still on hold. I mean, the whole club is you know, clearly on hold at the moment until new owners come in. Among the names being put forward for the coaching uh, vacancy, John Aloisi. I <laughs> think Johnny's linked with every single... Uh, <laughs> going. Uh, Hayden Fox, Luke Wilkshire, Peter Sikinis, um, or Sakenis, uh, Damian Mori, Arthur Pappas. Uh,
4: what's the right solution for, for Newcastle? Is there one? Well, it's a pretty good list, ain't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and when you look at it, and again, I know I'm biased uh, because I think out of all those people... The best credentials would probably be John Aloisi, Hayden Fox. I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to get an opportunity to, to lead a club. Uh, and Arthur Pappas, who I heard is interested. So, I mean, they're three pretty good uh, managers for a club like Newcastle. In saying that, I, I would like to see Foxy get the opportunity to run his own ship. He's, we, we spoke about apprenticeships, we spoke about how long he's been an assistant coach under Popper at Wanderers, very successful, at Perth, very successful. This would be the ideal club for for someone like Foxy to come in.
0: Okay. Um, on the pitch, uh, Maury, a couple of Ollie Roos returning home in uh, a couple of strikers as well. Daniel Bauman coming back to play for the Mariners, uh, and Ben Falame to Melbourne Victory, and Ed- this is important, isn't it, for our young strikers to, to get game time, uh, particularly in the A-League and particularly ahead of the Olympics in, in Tokyo next year.
3: Yeah, and another player, Joshua Laws, who's come back from Germany and signed with uh, Wellington Phoenix. So, look, it's good to see these players uh, coming back, Simon. Um, it, it's important that they do kind of get those those minutes, hopefully leading into uh, to the Olympics because we know uh, how beneficial that will be to, to Graham Arnold and the team that, um, that he will eventually take as many as uh, as we possibly can with our Olympic players uh, playing minutes uh, this season is really really important. So it was good to see again a couple of uh, new players coming back to the league. It's it's again steering clear of that recycled club to club kind of scenario. Simon, so I, look, I'm I'm really positive about it, and I wish I wish all the players that have come back there uh, the very best of luck and hopefully they have a really big year which would be fantastic preparation for the Olympics. Uh, Maury,
0: we'll, we'll stick with you for this one as well, um, because obviously your links with uh, with Brisbane Roar and with Queensland, uh, the Roar sent out a message to all their members this week regarding uh, where they're going to play in season 2021. And they're looking to play all their matches at Dolphin Stadium to move out of Suncorp completely. Is that a good move given... We know that they pay quite an extortion of rent at Suncorp. In fact, it's too big for them. Uh, and the fact there's a better atmosphere at Dolphin. But a lot of fans are going to be inconvenienced by this move as well, aren't they?
3: Well, uh, look, they are because... I mean, and you look at now, obviously, Brisbane and Roar have located for training down the Gold Coast. Um, but they're going to be playing the games at Redcliffe, which is, which is Dolphin. Uh, but look, for me, I, I think it's the right decision, Simon. I know it's... Probably going to be tough on on some supporters in terms of travel, um, but it is a fantastic stadium for football. It has provided already uh, some really good atmospheres and some some great matches. And financially, it's an absolute no-brainer for for Brisbane Raw. I think it's I think it's great. We know how uh, good a stadium Suncorp is for the big games. Um, so for me, no uh, no problem. But I do feel a little bit for uh, you know a certain amount of fans that um, you know probably in terms of travel and that sort of stuff, it can be a bit of a a hassle.
0: But it it sets the precedent, doesn't it, for that uh, move to hopefully a a boutique stadium long-term in in Queensland for Brisbane Raw. Um, Spider, a a topic we've covered a fair bit on the pod, continues to rumble on. Players and coaches from the three A-league teams this week That are involved in the Asian Champions League expressing serious concerns about the health and safety risks of competing in Qatar, and not to mention the financial, logistical, and and mental health implications of another round of of quarantine as and when they return to Australia. But the issue for the A-League clubs and for the FFA, if they withdraw, they will get fined or suspended. I have no doubt, or probably both, by AFC if they don't go. So. They're between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? What do they yeah.
4: do? Yeah, you really feel for them, don't you? Especially with like the lead-up to to pre-season now, when we're talking about the season starting on the 26th of uh, December, uh, the managers and their staff would really have uh, all sorts going through their minds. Look, we don't want to get suspended, do we? I mean, we love the ACL. We want to be in the ACL because we want to grow as a part of Asia. Um How do we make it happen is going to be the hardest thing. Uh, I'm well and truly not up to knowing how the clubs are going to do this. How they're going to handle it financially is another big problem because we're already talking about the amount of money that we constantly keep losing. Um, Sydney FC, I would say, will somehow find a way. The others, I I don't know. Look, uh, it's a difficult one, Simon. Uh, none, None of us can comment because we don't know the ins and outs of the club's it's a COVID
0: world, isn't it? This is uh, how we have to live suddenly at the moment. Um, one more before we move overseas. Uh, and staying in Asia, Pete Klamovsky has uh, yes. has been removed or stood down from his, his coaching role at, at Shimizu. All, all,
3: all, all or Oryon. Or Oryon. Yep, yep.
0: Um, that's disappointing, isn't it? Obviously, his first uh, senior gig, got it on the back of success with, with Ange Postacoglu last season with Yokohama, but... Uh, for whatever reason hasn't worked, but I guess that first coaching gig can be very, very tough, particularly in the J-League.
3: Yeah, I think in general, and Spider and Popper will go through this again in Greece, uh, Simon, the the initial part of going into any club is to be able to survive. Um, and if you can get through that period and you're able to survive, then you can really start to to, to put a stamp on the football club and then you can start to be successful. But... It's very, very tough. Um, you know, I read the reports coming out with Pete and uh, my heart goes out to him. You know, he, he tried to, to do things in a way that he believed was uh, the way that he wanted to play, similar to, to Ange. He wanted to play entertaining football. Um, he wanted to have a team that could score goals. And that was a team that he, he, he was seeing. But unfortunately, as he'd mentioned, that they were probably that little bit short, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the results didn't go against them and, and maybe that quality in terms of defensively to be able to uh, turn some of those, those results into to winning games and points is, is what's cost him in the end or it might, might have not he might have resigned and just seen the writing on the wall but either way mate it's about surviving at the beginning mm.
4: and, and it's funny Maury because it's a it, it's, it's actually non-relegation this year in the J League so it just shows to you all over the world it's, it's about it's a results driven industry um, he played good football but he probably didn't have the players that Ange had or the quality that Ange had. And what, what Morey said at the beginning was spot on. You have to survive before you can build. You've got to sort of build from, from the back and then slowly get better. He went all gun-ho, which his games were very attractive to watch. But if you don't win 10 games in a row or 11 games in a row, there's only one end product and that's you losing a job. That's football, isn't it? Um, just before we
0: close this section, Spider, any, any clues as to the future of Max Burgess? Uh, reports last week that he still uh, hadn't reported back for pre-season training with, uh, with Western United.
4: Yeah, it well, was a funny one, Andy, because I know Max is a city boy. So whether he's just got a bit stubborn and said, well, I'm not going back to Melbourne... In these circumstances uh, I understand that I'm contracted I I don't know This is probably a good one for us To probably get in contact with him And to understand the situation Because he had a fantastic season I don't think the club and Max Had anything, any loggerheads or any uh, fallouts I I think it's just a personal decision That he doesn't want to go back Into into that lockdown situation in Victoria Okay
0: Thanks for the moment uh, guys We're going to move overseas London calling London calling. Some uh, sad news to start off with from the UK, Maury. uh, The death of Nobby Stiles, World Cup winner with England, 1966. Um, He also uh, coached the likes of David Beckham and the the two Neville's Phil and Gary, uh, when he was coaching with United in, in the late 80s. But in terms of his playing career, not just winning a World Cup, but you could almost call him the early pioneer of that holding midfield role. Um before he, he was Vinnie Grella before long before Vinnie Grella was, was even <laughs>
4: <laughs> For anyone who didn't know, that's the type of player he was. Brilliant. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that. Nah,
3: but yeah, there's been a lot of uh, you know a lot of support, obviously. I mean, unfortunately, you, you lose a, a fantastic um, uh, you know, person like that. Um so the papers have been have been flooded with, with, with great stories and you know, he'll be, he'll be hugely missed. But his contribution to football, Simon, was was an enormous one. Um, and I'm sure that there'll be people, you know, you look at the likes of the Beckhams and the Neville's and, and people that have been mentored uh, by the uh, Nobby Styles that hopefully now, um, you know, they can have the same contribution uh, moving forward um, mm. to, uh, to really honour his, his life and what he contributed to football.
0: Talking of Legends Spider, Pele turned 80 last week, and this week, Diego Maradona turned 60. It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly life goes. Where do you stand on who was better?
4: Yeah. Mate, you have to throw that question to me, right? <laughs> mate, mate, I'm a, I'm going to sit on the fence here. Because oh, you can't. Can oh, come on, man. How can you compare the two greats? Two different eras. Like, I mean... Pele was a freak in his own world. Who did someone someone say he was the only person, only footballer that could make a war stop or something like that? <laughs> um, and then you know I've been watching all these uh, clips of Maradona. You know when he had his birthday and the way he used to train and uh, they're just two greats. So, uh, I don't know. Look, I know Maradona more because it's more my vintage. Yeah. So I'll, yeah. I'll say Maradona.
0: There we go. We got, we got him down off the fence eventually, uh, Maury. Um, let, let's talk about uh, some of the on-field action. Um, in fact, before we do that, what about Pep Guardiola leading the call for five subs to be reintroduced in the Premier League? Um, he's done this on the back. A lot of soft tissue injuries this season, perhaps down to the short pre-season. Is, is this all a bit self-interested? Because, of course, he's got the depth of squad that, that other teams don't, or does he have a point?
3: I think, I think with this one, he says something like, the, the and he says muscle, muscle injuries, uh, are, up, are up 47%. Um, so, look, I, I actually think that he was talking about the best interests of the game and, and not Manchester City. I, I think that um, you know, he feels that in terms of a game, the, the year that we've all had, the amount of games that these players are expected to play that um, you know the five-sub rule is is something that can, can help try and uh, protect these players and, and keep players fit and healthy. So um, I don't believe it was a Man City thing from Pep Guardiola in this situation.
0: And he's got support, obviously, from Jurgen Klopp and Frank Lampard, strangely enough, two other members of the big six of English football. Um, Spider, uh, Champions League and Europa League this week, uh, some terrific games. Real Madrid, bottom of of their group and they, they only got out of jail very late on against Borussia Mönchengladbach thanks to, to two late goals uh, and Barca winning 2-0 at uh, Juventus
4: you know it's funny because on the back of what we are just talking about there with uh, Guardiola wanting the subs this is actually one of the reasons and we've spoken on the pod over the amount of weeks that we're going to get all sorts of results because of this I I, I agree with Guardiola I think it's impossible what they're doing I mean, even watch Liverpool. They played Midland. Uh, They Liverpool were poor, but mm. poor. And Klopp rested a lot of players because he thought it was going to be a game that he could win without his stars. But at the end, he had to bring them on as well. It's just the amount of games, the amount of crazy results. I mean, Real Madrid 2-0 down. And more he would know, much in buck's a very difficult place to go and get results. Uh, and to come back late and get a result, they're last in their group in the Champions League. Uh, their season is all all over the place because of the amount of travel, uh, the amount of games. Uh, the other the other cracking game was uh, that I seen was Shakhtar Inter. They played a zero zero. That was a cracking match. That uh, yeah. two top. What's that, Maury?
3: No, I'm saying, yeah, like, nil-nil. So, obviously, that was a game that I didn't catch spider. But, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it was an entertaining nil-nil.
4: That's what I'm saying. Like, it finished 0-0, zero, zero, and there was chances for fun. It was like open, open game. And then Inter come back to the Serie this week, and they jagged a 90th-minute equaliser to go 2-2. Two, two. And the other one was Atletico Madrid. Everyone thought they just belt Salzburg. And Salzburg gave them a game and a half. And to be fair, Atletico scored two cracking goals. But what I was impressed in the Champions League was Rashford's hat trick. The way he scored, what Man United did in that match, you go, wow, they're back. They played brilliant counter-attacking football, speed, players willing to work, like 5-0. And then you watch them today against Arsenal and seriously, you could get two pins and poke your eyes. That's how bad the game was. But also
3: with that squad... Sorry, Simon. With that one, one, uh, the Man United game. uh, Apparently, again, lack of leadership. Body language was poor. Looked really disjointed. Um, So, how how can they go from a five-nil and Rashford being brilliant to, I mean, and again, it was Roy Keane. Roy Keane was very critical (laughs) again. Manchester (laughs) United. He didn't miss again. It'll be all over social media, but (laughs) saying lack of leadership. um, Player's not good enough. He says, and if Man United are turning a corner. He says bloody hell, it's a long corner. <laughs>
4: <laughs> 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 Don't you just love it? It's, he's he's gold, mate, I'm telling you. Like I mean, he loves that club so much. And it would be so painful for for these ex greats of Man United who have won so many things that know what the club's all about and they see the club in a roller coaster ride at the moment. They see one week fantastic and then the next two or three games rubbish. And it's a real difficult pill to swallow. But I feel sorry for these players. I I do. Uh, I know they get paid a lot of money to perform, but they are human beings and they can't perform to their best week in, week out with this schedule.
0: Well, Manchester United have not performed at home all season. They haven't now won any of their opening four home matches at Old Trafford. It's the first time that that has happened since season Um, 1972-73. No one's scared uh, to go there. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was the point that you picked up on a few weeks ago, wasn't it? With- the lack of crowds. Um, Liverpool, perhaps not quite as an intimidating place to go to at the moment because of that as well, but they, they got a narrow win over West Ham by two goals to one. Um, they're struggling defensively, though, with the injuries. Van Dyke out and then Fabinho is replacement out with injuries as well. So Nathaniel Phillips, who was seemingly on his way out of the club during uh, the off-season, uh, was brought in against West
3: Ham and he did well as well huge praise Simon huge praise he got for this game um, Boy come in and done extremely well um, Jota also got another goal so he's come in and, and hit the ground running for, for Liverpool yeah so yeah but like as the reports and clock come out um, in, in terms of Phillips he says I, I he, he's, he's shown me something that I didn't expect it was like kind of knew what we had but he delivered far more so they are excited by his performance, which will be good for Liverpool who, uh, you know, you're talking about Fabinho uh, and the likes um, having a sort of like play that potentially dual, dual role. Uh, at least that's another positive for Liverpool.
0: Yeah. Uh, Manchester City got a win at Sheffield United. Kyle Walker scoring, of course he did, against his boyhood club. Uh, and afterwards, spider Pep Guardiola playing down speculation that he will return uh, to Barcelona now. This comes on the back, of course, of uh, Bartomeu, the hugely unpopular president, has finally stood down. Um, what does that mean? Do you think for the future of, of Leo Messi? Does that make it easier for him to stay, or does it actually, conversely, open up the door for him to leave?
4: Yeah, uh, difficult one. I, I've, I've got to say, I've got to see Messi leaving. I, I just, the more I think about it, the more dramas I see. Um, I, I see Messi leaving. Probably at the end of this season, where he's going to go, there's probably only one or two clubs that he can go to. But Barcelona just look a shadow of itself at the moment. Mm.
3: They're twelfth, Spider. Yeah, they're twelfth in La yeah. Liga at the moment. Which I mean, I, again, we're six or seven games in. I don't know um, how often you can say you've seen Barcelona in that kind of position, Simon. So I think that's why the that's why the changes have, have happened. And I kind of agree with you, Spiders. I think Leo Messi. Um, I think at the end of this season, he'll be gone. And, you know, Pep Guardiola, I don't think, you know, he said that he won't end up back at Barcelona. So Messi could end up a big chance at, at being at City.
0: Final question in this uh, segment, Maury, goes to you. Um, a word about uh, the Scottish Premier League title race now. With Celtic in Scottish Cup action from last season, bizarrely, uh, over the weekend, it offered Rangers the chance to move nine points clear and they took it. They defeated Kilmarnock by a goal to nil. Is this the year that Rangers end a 10-year wait for a Scottish Premier League
3: crown? It's early days. Yeah, I'm like, Are I'm confident? Bloody hope. I bloody hope so. <laughs> I, 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 we can't have Celtic win in 10, uh, look, um, Look, <laughs> Rangers, Rangers have started the season very, very well. Um, they have had the odd, the odd hiccup, but um, I think it was against Livingston and possibly Hibs. Um, but, mate, they, they defend them well. They can you know, clean sheets, six, seven clean sheets. Their squad now is um, is deeper uh, than what I've seen for many, many years. When you look at the bench now, Simon, in terms of you know the players that can come on and still influence the game, it's, it's a lot deeper a squad. So Rangers in a really good position. Celtic today defeated Aberdeen in the, the Scottish Cup semi-final, so they'll play uh, in the final against Hearts. A lot of press here about Celtic. As it's, it's either Celtic and Rangers, and because... Things haven't been going for, for Celtic. Obviously, there's been a, a lot of media coverage of them, and whether or not they're they're the team that can can go on and, and win the, the title and ten in a row and create history. But Rangers are going about their business very quietly. Steven Gerrard's doing a great job, but he's making sure that they remain humble. Every game counts, so that's where Rangers have fell over in previous seasons. I think they can win it this year. Yes.
0: Interesting, we shall uh, see if you are right. Um, And uh, before we leave the Scottish football scene, we should also um, uh, pay our condolences to the former Hearts captain of their Scottish Cup winning team of a few years ago, uh, Marius Zaliukas, who uh, tragically passed away uh, within the last uh, few days. So, our condolences to him. Yeah, okay, let's uh, move on to our final segments this week footballer's lives. Our well, guest this week was born in Gosford in 1992, beginning his career with Manly United and then Sydney FC, for whom his solitary A-league appearance, came in the 2010 grand final win over Melbourne Victory as a late sub. After a brief stint in Belgium with Olympic Charleroi. He worked his way back up into the A-League via Manly United again and Marconi Stallions signing for the Western Sydney Wanderers in 2012. But he struggled to get a first-team spot at both Wanderers and then his next club, Newcastle Jets, dropping back into the State Leagues with Blacktown City via a stop-off in Hong Kong. It seemed perhaps that his days in the top division ranks were over until he took a very different career direction. In February this year, he signed for Keflavik in the second tier in Iceland. Since then, he's banged in 21 goals in just 19 games to win the Divisional Golden Boots, the Championship and promotion. And he joins us now in what is the longest distance guest we've had on the podcast so far. It's a big welcome to Joey Gibbs. How are you, Joey?
2: Yeah, well, mate. Well, how are you?
0: Yeah, very good. Um, So how does a kid from Gosford end up being in one of the most northerly outposts in the world?
2: Yeah, man, it's something I definitely didn't expect, you know. Um it, it it all happened very very quick. I think I remember I was um it would have been mid-February and um I was getting ready to, to start my season with Blacktown actually. And it was all just right before COVID was all all, all hitting off as well. So um yeah, I think I think the timing was good because I just got over here in time before uh before it got real serious, you know.
0: And uh, as I understand yeah. it, you you weren't the only Aussie in Iceland either. There's a guy called Jonathan Farber who's uh, a goalkeeper from the Central Coast. I'm not sure whether you you knew each other, whether he's still there or if you hung out together. Uh,
2: I, I, I know of him. Um, I think I think he was actually from Northern Beaches. I think so. No. Yeah. But um, I, I think I remember seeing a documentary on him actually. He was, he was at keflavik as well.
0: That's right. The documentary was on the Optus, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's it like living over there? Um, Because you left Australia post-bushfires then you head to this country that I'm sure you probably didn't know too much about. Um, Just give us an example of perhaps some of the the difficulties of of being so far away from your family. Of course, in a a COVID world, I'm sure are not allowed to come and visit you.
2: Yeah, no, it's... um... Yeah, 2020 has been pretty full on, you know what I mean? Um, in regards to how different the two countries are, um, obviously the weather, but it was just that the the difference between Australia in uh, February with the bushfires coming over here to Iceland in February is um, completely different. Because I came on the weekend of a big blizzard as well, you know, so it was like, um, you know, not just a bit of snow, it was about... <laughs> it was halfway up my door kind of snow, you know? So I, I didn't know how to open the door and <laughs> like, you, you, I don't know, you had to drive and it was just unbelievable. But, um, and I'd, I'd never seen snow before. So that was a, that was a, a new experience, but, um, they all play in the football. Like they have big football halls here in winter, so they can train and play all year round. So, um, yeah, no, that, that was, that was my first couple of weeks was like that. And then, um, then yeah, then you start hitting summer and that's when the season comes and, then you've got uh, 20, 20 hours of daylight in that time. So it's a little bit different.
3: A, a little bit different, Joey. But, uh, mate, the challenges that you've had, obviously, to try and find a fit throughout your career. Um, mate, fair play because you've kept knocking. You've kept knocking on the door and and had a fantastic season. Um, how does the standard of the, the football in Iceland uh, with the second division, uh, obviously you've been promoted, how does that compare to Australia? I mean, conditions we know about, but... The standard of play
2: Yeah It's um. I've been asked this a few times You know It's, it's kind of like a, It's a tough one Because um, I'll say My division now I'm in And you look at this Maybe the NPL New South Wales I'd probably say um, There's not There's not too many differences I'd say the standard Is is similar um, I feel like maybe oh, I don't know if you, Maybe it's just my squad as well But I feel like my squad The boys are a little bit more um well the football literate i don't know if that's the right way to put it but i know they they understand the game well but they might not be as technically good as some of the australian boys or physically as yeah. good you know what i mean because it's a country of 360,000 um but you know they got four four divisions of football but um yeah and, and then when you get to the top division the top division's quite again there's some impressive teams in that because we played a few few of the bigger teams in the cup and um and pre-season and yeah, no, I, was, I was quite impressed. It felt like it felt like playing against um, an A League team. If you're an MPL team, you know, it felt like the, the standard of just the intensity was a bit higher, and and they really like to play football there as well. You know, I think they have got quite a good um, education system through the youth, and yeah. and yeah, they um, for 360,000, you see their national team. They do quite well. It's impressive. Yeah. Oh,
4: I was going to say I was going to say that, Joey, because I I played a UEFA Cup game against Reykjavik. Uh, oh, yep, yep. and th- they're a very good side uh, mm. and their game has come forward in leaps and bounds so their top tier is a very serious league and what you spoke about there is four divisions they have?
2: Yeah, they're not all professional obviously but yeah, there's there's a yeah, country of 360,000 there's like a good four divisions I think of of teams who can all get promoted, relegated you know what I mean? So um, yeah Yeah
4: Hey, it's good to see that you haven't stopped banging in goals.
2: Yeah, no, it's um, I'm enjoying the team I'm with. You know, like yeah, there's we've got some good young Icelandic boys there who, you know, I've been getting good service, so I'm uh, yeah, enjoying it.
3: You've got to say that, eh?
2: <laughs> yeah, you never <laughs> know. They might be you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Joey, culturally, I would imagine it's a pretty easy fit. Having I've been to Iceland myself on, on holiday. I've actually visited Keflavik. Um, and, and culturally, I would imagine it's, it's quite easy. Everybody speaks English, uh, apart from the weather. It, it, it must be okay. I know you've got a couple of uh, English lads, I think, as well who, who play in the team. Has that been quite a, a smooth transition in, in that regard?
2: Yeah, it's yeah, it's fine. I think um, yeah, out of all out of a lot of countries you could go to, I think Iceland's yeah, they, everyone knows English. Even just that um, yeah, culturally, like you said, like. Um, it's kind of like a hard working culture i feel and i feel like more oh, some of australia's like that but um, i feel like it's kind of um they do if you come in as a player and you and you kind of put your head down and work hard they respect that you know the coaches and the players so i felt that that helps because i think this club especially have had a have had problems with um signing foreigners that haven't really done that so i think that's i don't know i think i got respect quickly for that and i think that was a little bit of the Australian mentality, which helped because I think they appreciate that type of thing. So it just it yeah it got off to a good start and um, and yeah it was a pretty smooth transition really.
3: Joey, I was going to touch on that uh, in terms of the, the mentality you touch on, and in, in terms of although it's a, a small nation in terms of numbers that play the game, that that mm-hmm. football culture. I mean, it's still a, a football culture that that might be different to Australia, for example, you know, like people in Australia don't really watch a lot of football and don't really have the education of the football. But where you go to countries as small as this
2: and uh, mm. that mentality and that education is, is still there in the football, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's just, again, yeah. Like I love Australia, but that's the one thing I, I don't like about it. You know, it's just like um, you, you go to the, the the hotel here or the pub and all it, all it is, is football. You know what I mean. And then you look at the media, front page of the paper, and or online, wherever it is, it's all football. And um, yeah, like uh, you just, I guess that just gradually, as you grow up as a kid, from what you know, six years old to eighteen, you just, it's football. That's all it is. And then you, you watch more football. You you have more idols. You look at certain players. I don't know. I think, I think it affects, um, yeah, affects things a lot.
0: Jerry, you mentioned the the domes that are all over Iceland. This is one thing that I noticed when I Mm. I visited there. They're like huge spaceships in in sort of every village as you drive around Iceland. Uh, That's been a key to their success, hasn't it, over the last few years. They've really invested not just in uh, those indoor facilities, which, of course, they need during the winter when it gets pretty cold, uh, but also in coaching as well. I think they've got more... You qualified coaches per capita than any other nation in Europe, which is staggering for a, a country of that small population.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I've um, I've I've heard that too, and I think um, again, watch, I've I've been watching their national team a bit because it's again, it's on everywhere here, and like Iceland will play England, and I think it was, oh, they, oh, they, just, I just thought they defended so well, really disciplined, and it was you know impressive against. Against England, who should be beating them five nil? You know what I mean. And um, and then I think they're I think they're about to play hungry for the the Euro spot. I think that's the case. But again, they just they all the boys look. It's that I guess it's that they've been coached well, number one. And I think there's a good mentality in the country. Kind of how you know, just the way they. It's the one thing I notice is the way they defend. Mm-hmm. You know, as a group and all that. And um, but yeah, mentioning the domes, I think that came in maybe. 20 years ago. I think our one in Keflavik was the first ever one built, actually. But um, but we don't play competition games in them. It's only the friendlies when it's winter and then it's mainly a summer competition. And um, and then you're back in the domes come around this time now and uh, in pre-season. So,
4: Jerry, a you... lot of people would have said to you, you're mad for going to Iceland. What are you going to Iceland for? But, mate... Yeah. In your head now, what do you think are the benefits of going to a place like Ireland, Iceland to give you the opportunity to get into Europe or to say, I was sick of Australian football and I wanted a different challenge?
2: Yeah. No, like, yeah, I got that a little bit, actually. It wasn't really just said. You got you just got that vibe from people. But, um, no, again, like, I kind of went over here at what I was 27, 28, and, then, you know, you, the career is a short one, so I was like, well, like why not you know uh, yeah why not and then um, yeah I'm, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm happy I made the move but it wasn't it wasn't a blind move you know I, I had a good chat with the coach and I've heard some good things about him and he actually I knew I knew a few people who knew him quite well and I thought that you know I guess every coach tries to sell their club to you but um, I just got that feeling and the way he spoke that it could work you know what I mean um, and then yeah things went well and. Um, and yeah, now I guess our goal was to to finish first, and and now we're in the top division next year. So yeah, no, I think um, you never know what can happen, but it just feels again like it's uh, you know, you can be in Iceland or you know nearly every part of what other part of the world you know, and you can be in the second division, and you're in the first division the next year if you do well. So you get rewarded. Um, just fuels you with a little bit of ambition, and and even now, like if we do well next year, we're could be in Europa League, you know what I mean, or Champions League playoffs, which is just something, you know. I was playing for Blackdown a year ago, but it's That's um, great. yeah, it's just it's funny how eh? when you're even just in this area, things are things can happen, you know what I mean? Oh, it feels like that. So yeah. closer,
3: mate. It's closer. Europe, Europe, is closer. It's a bigger shop window, as you as you know. Um, so in terms of your your contract situation, Joey, what's your your contract length, and and obviously. Uh, moving forward, you, you touched on ambition.
2: Uh, yeah. um, son- I'm I was, uh, I'm here for two more seasons. Um, so yeah, but um, yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying it here, and I, and I do feel the club. It's uh, it has it has it kind of is also implementing certain things to to make sure it will move forward as well. You know, they're not just trying to sell the dream, but they are also uh, kind of acting on it. You know, so. Yeah, mate, can I
3: can offer you a bit of Sorry. advice? Can I offer you a bit of advice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as players, players, we, we you know, they, they tend to, to move a lot, move a lot and, and chase that 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 happiness, yeah? and that feeling yeah. of of feeling as if you're fit. Um, and and by all accounts, you you've, you've done that. So don't yeah. be in a rush to make any decisions, mate. Enjoy, enjoy the moment, yeah. and see where it takes you. And don't get too far ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I was actually given that advice around um, something very similar around the negotiation time because I only signed for a year and I renegotiated and signed again for two more years. So, no, I totally agree yeah. with that one.
0: Joey, um, I know it's it's been fantastic for you over there in terms of scoring goals and winning promotion. I'm sure you're looking forward to playing in the top league next season. But uh, it's not all been smooth sailing, has it? Because of COVID, uh, I, I read that you had to work Mowing the grass at a golf club just to uh, to keep going financially uh, because the obviously you know the football stopped same as everywhere else
2: yeah, no, I was doing a bit of that it was a, yeah, that wasn't too bad because uh, it gave you a bit of routine you know we um and it was uh, it was a pretty nice golf course as well it was probably one of the most beautiful spots you could ever be it was you know the big Icelandic rock cliffs and all that it was yeah it was really nice but um yeah no there was i think we I got over here, I came February, uh, like mid February. And then, um, we stopped for nine weeks or seven, eight weeks because of the first wave in, in March. And then, um, then we stopped again mid season around, uh, I think it was August, July, maybe July ish. And then we had to finish the league early two games short, which was a big, uh, and there was a bit of an uproar here about that, but we just, yeah, it's getting too cold. It's, they can't play a lot of games indoors and, and, and it's getting really bad so it was weird we won the title actually um without playing our last two games so mm. or three games for us two games for the others <laughs> but so it was, a, it was a weird year
0: yeah um in terms of uh, your partner I know you've got a girlfriend but she's not been able to join you yet uh, I don't know your family probably not been able to go and visit you as we mentioned earlier on um how do you deal with that separation mentally? Because you're pretty much on your own over there, aren't you? I know you say you've got your teammates and everything, but uh, you're, you're pretty self sufficient, or you have to be.
2: Yeah, no, I think um, the the first wave of COVID was a bit of a shock, but um, yeah, I don't know. It may, things are a bit easier with, with FaceTime and all that type of thing, but you mm. do get sick of it and you just, um, you know, you want to see people in person, obviously. But. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's put a strain on a few things, but you know, you, you kind of end up living in the the world you're in, and yeah. I think you just immerse yourself in that, and and um, yeah, you you move on and live your life. So it's uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it here. I okay. really am. Joey, um, have you been to any of the hot springs yet? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, they're, they're unbelievable. There's these hot pools that pop out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, Catholic's real close to the Blue Lagoon, which is the big touristy one, you know, as well. So we're 20 minutes away from that.
0: Yeah, I've been there as well. Fantastic country. And, Joe, let's just talk a wee bit about um, the former part of your career. I mentioned that you made your A-League debut in that 2010 grand final. I think that was only because John Aloisi picked up the injury in that particular season. You were a kid in those days. Um, That that must have been an unbelievable experience. You're on the bench... Perhaps unexpectedly for a grand final and then you, you get to play and you win the title in your first ever game at in senior football.
2: Yeah, no, it was an amazing experience. And a very rare one, you know. And I think I can um look back on it now and I knew at the time it was it was a crazy one as well, but even now it's one of those ones that um yeah, you look back on and think, Wow, you know, like that was came out of nowhere, you know. But um but yeah, I remember that I remember that very because well I only even started um I was injured for like four months before that with uh, stress fractures, I think it was. And then, um, so I I came into even the youth league uh, quite late. And yeah, obviously um, a lot of, there was a lot of injuries in the first team. I think um, even Stevie Corica was injured. Um, Aloisi, I think there may have been a few more too in that that front area.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, But yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I, I was training well at the time I think I was just really happy to be back playing you know because I've been injured for so long and then I uh yeah ended up being on the bench and ended up coming on the 170th or so minute I think it was but um yeah great memories.
0: It, it didn't quite work out for you at Sydney and um you sort of dropped back into the state leagues you, you re-emerged with Western Sydney Wanderers um but you I said in the intro that you you struggled to to get a regular spot. Actually, your first season, I think you did okay. You played 13 times. Uh, but then Tony Popovich wanted uh, Tommy Juric to come in. And it, you found it difficult to establish yourself with the Wanderers.
2: Yeah. No, I think um, it's it's competitive being a young Aussie striker, you know what I mean? Especially in the A-League. You look at, what, there's 10, 11. Yeah. How many teams now? 12, is it? Oh, With MacArthur come in or 11? Mm-hmm. Oh, but, um, yeah, and then you think usually there's maybe... Maybe a few of those spots are reserved for foreigners in each team as well. So when you look at it realistically, there's maybe you know for an Aussie striker, an Aussie nine, there's not too many opportunities really. You know, um, and then then you've got our our second division, which is technically the MPL, and it's a semi-professional environment. So it's it's quite tough when you kind of have that. You know, if if the second step backwards or the the step back is is not professional, it does make it tough to try and chase the A-League again because, you know, you, it's still doable. It's definitely doable, but it does make it a bit tougher. Um, but, yeah, I think um, I look back on those times and, yeah, no, my time at the Wanderers was, was a great experience. I think I learned a lot um, and I was I, – I think I thought I, did, I thought I did pretty well with my opportunity as well, being a young young striker coming from the NPL. I think I probably exceeded expectations and I could have even been better in the second season. But, um wasn't to be, and um, but yeah, it's yeah great memories nonetheless.
0: And you had a similar experience, uh, I know, with uh, with the Newcastle Jets, uh, because you know, the likes of ML Heskey was sort of uh, blocking your way. It is a real problem, isn't it, for young Aussie strikers? And and we bemoan the lack of. Uh, Australian strikers, but st- they struggle to get opportunities because that's the area of the pitch that A-League clubs tend to go for the the big-name foreigner, and that, that really hurts the Aussie strikers in many ways, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I think um, yeah, like uh, yeah, I agree with that, like um, and yeah, I'm just trying to, it was it was funny times at both, at especially Newcastle, because I remember there was, yeah, Emil, Emil Heskey was there, and obviously he's the marquee, he's always going to play, and and, oh, and rightly so, but um, and then actually, Adam Taggart had a very good year that year as well. So that was one uh, Aussie striker did very well that year. And um, but yeah, other than that, it was yeah, it was just it it is a little bit difficult. Then you look at the system way the way it's set up as well with the 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 youth league is the what you do when you're not playing in the A league, obviously. So and um, that the level of that isn't really enough to again. To be competitive in the A League or or win back a spot, you know, I always always felt that was it was such a big step. If you are in the youth league for four or five weeks and you got to try and step up to the intensity of the A League, it was always very very tough.
3: How how Joey, how is the foreigner situation there in, in Iceland? Then do do all teams uh, is there a, is there a quota uh, and do all teams fill that quota? And what what positions do they normally go for for a foreigner?
2: Yeah, it's um. I think they're allowed as many as they want here. Um, cause there's some team, there's some clubs, right. Which are in these cities of about 2000 people or probably a bit more than that, but very little people. So they've got about 10 foreigners playing for them. Um, but, uh, over here, for example, we've got, um, there's a Spanish, a Spanish lad who's a defender. We've got a English boy. Who's a number, number 10 winger type of thing. And, um, and then myself, um, but yeah, again, probably similar. There's, Yeah, there's like, if you look at, I guess I, I've been looking at the the top goal scorers just a bit and a lot of them, yeah, they're, they're mainly all foreigners. You know what I mean? About five or six of the top goal scorers are the foreigners. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the majority of the position is in that front front area. You know what I mean? Joey, oh, Joey, mate, I've got to ask all our guests the same question, mate. And you're no different. So
4: mate, I've got to ask you, the best stadium you've ever played at and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at, and don't even think about saying Adenza Park, the Croatian sports <laughs> Centre, is the dungeon. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, best stadium I've ever played at. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. I've uh, I've always got good memories of. Uh, I think I was at Wanderers and I, I started in the Sydney Derby uh, at. It was I think it was at um, what's it Aussie, Aussie Stadium. What's it called now? That one. It's not because of the stadium, <laughs> but I just remember we won two nil that night and. Um, yeah, and that was obviously one of the inaugural derby years. You know what I mean? That was a really good experience. I always look back on that. And, and considering I started and played a lot of the game as well. Um, the biggest the biggest dungeon. <laughs> Maybe, um, I remember um, probably Lambert Park five, ten years ago. That That was a horrible ground. <laughs> that's not bad. When it was grass. <laughs> Yeah, live in the
0: park when it wasn't too dirty that, that has to be that has to be one of them <laughs> okay. um, Joey it's time for us to sort of wrap this up we just got time for one Twitter question which uh, is our question of the week uh, congratulations to Chris Carulli who wins a $100 uh, voucher for Outback Steakhouse and Chris asks and I think you might have seen your photo here on Instagram how do Icelandic title celebrations compare with your experiences in Australia and for those who don't know you're on Instagram with a big house and, and a fat cigar, <laughs> obviously yeah. enjoying the moment.
2: That was a funny one, right? Because it was um, we. Uh, it was um, Friday night, and like I said, there was the big COVID um, situation here, so we haven't played for four weeks, and the, their uh, FF or their, their FA decided to call off the league at Friday at six PM. So then it was a mad rush. The captain sorted something out because the next day there was a rule coming in no more than 10 people in a room. So we had to, he, I don't know, he organized something just like anticipating we uh, would, would get it. So I think we all had a few drinks, started playing basketball in the big clubhouse cause they so <laughs> we were dressed up as basketballers. And then we, uh, we had to be very secretive about the celebrations, you know, and uh, even now we got to be, you gotta be careful what you post up because we're not meant to be in a, uh, in groups you know what I mean it
0: looked looked a good night hey uh, Joey it's great to see you and uh, great to see you're doing so well in Iceland wish you all the very best in uh, the top uh, flight next season I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce uh, what what that league is called uh, but we're sure you'll do uh, great things in it and uh, keep flying the flag for Australia over there thanks very much mate well
4: done Joey well done Joey keep going buddy (laughs)
0: And that is is us this week. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, bye for now.